It's time to stream the stream. In honor of The Muppet Show streaming on Disney+, Plus. what did you used to watch for after-school television? I'm Katie Rich. I remember The Muppet Show being in Nickelodeon in like more of the 6 to 7 o'clock hour, so that would not have been after-school television. Uh, the answer is a lot. I watched a lot of television after school, uh, but I was thinking as particularly of Hey Dude, which I learned how to tell time on our oven clock so that I would know when it was time for Hey Dude to come on. It was 5.30. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm pretty sure this was on after school, not on Saturday mornings, but maybe also on Saturday mornings. But I'm going to have to go with the new Batman, Superman, Adventures. Yeah, but the days when they played Superman episodes sucked. So, no, I was actually more into the Superman because I didn't know the villains as well. So I was, like, learning about Metallo. I found that very educational. Hey, it's me, Dave with the 7. To answer Katie's uh, implied question, I think I was uh, just time-shifted. I think it was the same Muppet show. It was just two hours earlier for me. Mountain time. Didn't think about that. Uh, But for me, at least directly after school, before the Muppet show, there was Fox 31's two-hour Simpsons rerun block. Right after school? That was a 7 p.m. Yeah, that's a, that's a on 7 p.m. Yeah. On the uh, so coastal again, elites. For the they coastal shift elites. it back, and in order to make it two hours, our local thing would put in an extra that's two amazing. episodes. Then you'd have the national reruns, and so it all would go together. What a dream. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich, and I definitely have a nostalgic fondness for whatever channel it was on. Maybe it was Disney. must have been Disney. For like the, the Darkwing Duck tailspin block. Yeah, Disney. But, mm-hmm. but really, when I think of that period... And especially Nickelodeon, the the greatest fondness in my heart is reserved for the Nick at Night programming, uh, the one-two punch of Bewitched and I Dream of Genie. That's not after school. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. technically after school. It's not before school, oh, well, unless you consider it the night before. It's true. Well, what if everything Andy Griffith last night came on right around dinner morning. time? But I think that was in the south. Andy only. Griffith, how old are you, yeah. woman? Jeez. Andy Griffith was it was like it was on. It would air like after the local news and like before Jeopardy. Maybe I can't remember. It was like always on, like around the like right before primetime started. Yeah, I, I would wake up before school of, uh, and watch the Honeymooners, yes. and then uh, and then in recess I would watch a train arriving at the station. I, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm more nostalgic for the pre seven a.m. television of like Gilligan's Island mornings. There was a uh, solid. Yeah. There was a solid year or two there in like sixth or seventh grade where I would wake up at like 6 a.m. just to watch an hour of the X-Men animated series. Uh, and then at some point that became the, the Pokemon animated series. And I never really played the Pokemon games. The animated series were just sort of it for me. Uh, now we have Disney+. Now, yeah, kids are robbed of the experience. Of, like having all of this served on a plate for them, I think really. They, they don't know how hard it was in our day. We were talking before we started recording about how, how people <laughs> were raising babies in the Middle Ages. Uh, but there's never been a hardship <laughs> quite like having to watch animated shows at a specific time of day. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Finding in the War Room. It's episode 337. It is Pandemic 49. It is the week of Wednesday, February 21st. 24th, 2021. That's the day that in 1863, the Arizona Territory was created. (laughs) Hey, Arizona. I guess I've been to Arizona. That's about as much. Actually, Patches and I went to Arizona Dude, together. We, we went to Arizona together. We went like a set visit. That's back the when John we were being wined and dined. Oh my oh, god! Yeah. That's when Patches we were bought spent... press and before we went. The fully year 2012 was when we just ran around the world like on studio trips together. It was a good time. Uh, I can proudly say, just I want to make the snow to all the kids out there. Your uncle David here never been on a studio trip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never took a dime from these from these folks. <laughs> Well, I'm glad John Carter that, uh, did you... not benefit from sending us to no. a spa resort in Arizona, unfortunately. It really didn't. But uh, I sure love that hotel room with its own fireplace in it. And I think about it often. <laughs> well, uh, this week I was thinking maybe now would be the time. Dave's been stocking up weeks of Godzilla vs. Kong knowledge. Uh, but too bad. You guys left us reviews. So one you more week of waiting. <laughs> David, what are we going to talk about instead? Yeah, to remind uh, newcomers, people who are listening to Fighting in the War Room, episode 400, whatever the fuck it is. For the first time, uh, there's currently an ongoing threat from Dave Gonzalez that he will discuss the upcoming motion picture Godzilla vs. Kong if we do not have any reviews that week. And thus far, 
uh, our listeners have really come through because I think they, like me, would would really do anything not to hear or be reminded about that movie. To be uh, clear, we are talking about that movie on an episode uh, when it comes out. We'll so you see. Can't unless unless you leave us enough reviews. <laughs> <laughs> we become the number one movie podcast on iTunes. Yeah. Uh, well, in the meantime, uh, who are our heroes this week? Cruz and Connor says, first class frustration in the best way. Connor from Minneapolis here. Hi, Connor. I've been listening to this podcast for a little over a year now. I've now gone through and listened to every episode available on iTunes. There's so many episodes. Something about last week's episode, as well as minor mentions here and there, has perplexed me. What is this X-Men first class civil war you guys keep bringing up? I love the chemistry between you all, and it irks me to no end that I can't find the creme de la creme of interactions between such a wonderful group of compatriots. Keep up the great work, and David, don't let them beat you up too much. Uh, wow. Hmm, wow. Um, I won't, Connor. Thank you for that. Uh, I, uh, you know, since I was such a, a kind coup de grace to that review, might as well let you in on some fighting in the war room history. Turn back your dials to uh, the summer of 2011 or 10. 2011, I think. We were all in my apartment on 2nd Avenue, RIP. The whole avenue is dead. That apartment was uh, both wonderful and also cursed. But I mean, um, there was like a fatal car accident and a gas explosion. Yeah, like, yeah, right yeah, yeah, the was, corner. Not boy. at the same time. Um, no, not at the same time. <laughs> which is also, honestly, it would be somehow better if it was anyway. Good yes. apartment. Uh, anyway, uh, but also, you know, some, uh, some great memories there. But um, – we, it was like a sweat lodge. There was an ongoing theme in all the apartments I've lived, including the one where I live now. There was uh, no AC or heat in the winter. And uh, we were sweating buckets up on the fourth floor. I believe Dave got down to his skivvies. And uh, we had a gladiatorial bro down over uh, the rather wretched X-Men first class. Uh, I don't remember. I don't really remember what the sticky points were. Um, I just I think we all liked were... it and you didn't. That's yeah, my I don't like that movie. Clearest memory. Oh, did you like it at the time? Not really. I was kind of no, baffled. Maybe just Dave and I liked <laughs> it. Loved it. It's hard to imagine getting my hackles up so much about that movie anymore. But in the heat of the moment, and it was hot. I think X Men Apocalypse is better than X Men First Class. And well, X Men Apocalypse has something Learn that X Men First Class is not, which is a really <laughs> fucking wild scene set at Auschwitz. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that's what I've been um, saying since 2011. That's what First yeah. Class is missing. <laughs> Uh, the la- I think the last hour of that movie is somehow still going on. Um, Maybe that's going to be what we talk about in a few weeks. X Men Apocalypse. Okay. Anyway, oh yeah, Auschwitz. I don't. I don't. I can't imagine. I can't imagine Cruz and Connor that that uh, the fight we had that we have uh, cited all the time is actually all that coherent or fun to listen to. But it has really left a place in our minds and hearts as emblematic of us all screaming at each other at the height of summer when people could safely be in the same room. Um, And T.S. Cole 90 says, great podcast. Two years ago on Fighting in the War Room, David Ehrlich sang, I'm just a teenage dirtbag, but replaced teenage dirtbag with Velvet Buzzsaw. (laughs) Or another iconic Fighting in the War Room moment. I still think about this all the time, and now every time I hear Wheatus, and I can only imagine how often that is. Every time. I think about Dan Gilroy's Velvet Buzzsaw. Five stars. Ahem. I'm just a Velvet Buzzsaw, baby. You're welcome. Go watch Amy Heckerling's Loser. Asa sleeps or anything, <laughs> including my renditions of Velvet Buzzsaw, which are actually what I use to lull him to sleep at night. Yeah. Um, so uh, he's down for the count. Thank you, TS Cole 90. Thank you, Cruz and Connor. Thank you to anyone who has spared us another few minutes of thinking about Godzilla versus Kong. Please review our show on Fighting in the War Room. Continue to fight the good fight on CBS All Access slash Paramount Plus. Climb that mountain. Climb that mountain. On with the show. Summited by Patrick Stewart before you. (laughs) This week we're going to talk about a movie that technically came out in December, but people weren't going to movie theaters, so maybe you saw this movie at a drive-in theater but most people will now see this movie at least people in america this movie opened in 
China to controversy. So maybe we'll get into that too. But um, we're talking about monsters. It was too good. It yeah, people were just like, <laughs> take us out of theaters. I, I haven't seen a movie this good before. Uh, it's the latest film from Paul W.S. Anderson, the mastermind behind Resident Evil, the Mortal Kombat movie, Event Horizon. Um, he, he, he makes video game movies. And he's made another video game movie with his uh, go-to star slash wife, Mila Jovovich. And uh, it's this is based on a game that I have not played. David, have you played Monster Hunter or Dave? Have I, you have flirted, I have flirted with the Monster Hunters. You run around and, and hunt the monsters. I am, uh, uh, I am, I suppose, reasonably excited for the new one that is coming out soon. Monster Hunter Rise. Yeah. By Capcom. Uh, yeah, this franchise, the gaming franchise, is, is absolutely huge. And according to Paul W.S. Anderson, he's been playing it for eons, long before anyone thought it might make a good Long movie. before it came out, in fact. Yeah. Uh, Protect it. He's just that good. Yes. <laughs> He's been playing in his mind for years. Uh, I didn't know exactly what you were going with at that one, but I understand now. Um, anyway, he got in early. Uh, you know, I think I always wonder, like, how does Paul W. Sanderson keep making movies? Um, they do. I think they do well overseas. I think he has a way of uh, just using visuals to, to get the message across. He doesn't get bogged down in an exposition. He doesn't get bogged down in pretty much anything, character or whatever. It, it, the movies translate because the movies rely on, on action, 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 action. Um, so his movies do very well overseas. He gained a lot of, I think, critical praise for some of the later Resident Evil uh, installments, he was sort especially of, uh, Resident Evil Retribution, which kicked off the entire vulgar autourism. Yes, as I was about to, <laughs> uh, I was about to say, and now you know, with with good cause. Yeah. Like, whatever, whatever you think about vulgar autourism is a phrase that no one really mentions anymore, what probably for good reason. That that, that movie is fascinating. Uh, and was worthy of some sort of maelstrom of commentary. I mean, it's on. basically a dance movie with Mila Jovovich. But what's so maddening about Paul W. and S. Anderson, you know, having the gall to make a fascinating movie, like four movies deep into this train wreck of a franchise, is that it actually somehow left me disappointed in the final Resident Evil film. Uh, which is something I didn't know that I could be at one point. Good. The last one, it seems like, I I think he was a little distracted. I think he wanted to get it done so that he could make Monster Hunter, a movie that he's been (laughs) trying to make for for a while. He, my my grander point with Paul W. Anderson, why, how is he still making movies? He's, he's, kind of defunct in this era of blockbuster filmmaking in the marvel era where like people step up from indie films and then they get like third floor previs uh corporations to like pre-make uh all the action scenes he's an action director and it's surprising to see him still making movies he kind of is almost like a direct-to-dvd type auteur uh stepping up to make blockbuster still but he just got in early he bought the rights to Monster Hunter way early, and like Capcom worked with him on Resident Evil for a long time, and trust this guy to translate their game into a functional blockbuster. And I am happy to say, and this will uh, cause oh, us boy. to butt heads, but Monster <laughs> Hunter is pretty fun. I Take us say. back to those X Men first class days. I wow! Do want to point out. So I Monster Hunter is mostly just Mila Jovovich and Tony Jaa running around South African landscapes, uh, slicing and dicing digital monsters that look. Uh, pretty, you know, the, no, they look pretty good. They look pretty good. I mean, they don't look like any other monsters in American films, certainly. I think, Dave, do you have a whole thing about the Cloverfield monster and like how that turn every monster looks like the Cloverfield monster now? Is that a thing? Or am I making wait, wait, up? but that's not applicable. That's not applicable here. I, no, yeah, it's not. I that's one. Towards- that's one designer that J.J. Abrams used for like Cloverfield and Star Trek, and everyone was like, "Oh, that's the thing." I, just, now, I think but it's Toho produced Monster Hunter as well, and I think Toho's stamp is on this movie a little bit. The people who uh, is Godzilla. the point that you are trying to get about the creature design that it's more emblematic of a lot of the Chinese blockbusters that have been made over the last twenty years or so than it is the gray, scaly. Uh, clawy monster. Yes, that we this get movie has a true Eastern feel, and I, I, I fell down a, re- a rabbit hole uh, maybe like two years ago. There's a ton of Chinese blockbusters on Netflix, um, and if you really want like true fantasy, true high flying fun, I would I would also fall down that rabbit hole on Netflix because these movies, and and I think Paul W. Sanderson achieves this here, are going pure big fantasy and, and mythological fantasy you know in a way that we there's not really movies like this in uh, coming out of hollywood 
Can, we can I do just... another Netflix quarter quill and have someone assign us a Chinese blockbuster. I would do that. Can can I just drop some some facts here from Paul W. S. Anderson's Wikipedia page, which is also my homepage? Uh, <laughs> I, I I need there's some statistics that I think need to be known by our audience. Uh, first of all, and, and I say this as someone who does not put much stock in the Rotten Tomatoes score, but it's worth pointing out the average score on Rotten Tomatoes. Someone guess what the average score of of Cross his career? I'm going to go thirty two percent. Fifteen percent. Nah, fifteen is oh. too low. Twenty percent. Are we playing by prices right rules? Oh, I hope. Dave, so. can you weigh in? Uh, I'm going to say forty percent. Katie, by prices right rules, yeah, wins only over. because patches went one percent over. It's thirty one percent. He received a D plus cinema score for Event Horizon, which is arguably his best film. <laughs> but down from the you lofty, you would think he would do well with cinema score too, because like he's going to give you what's on the box. Yeah, you got a well. We'll get to that with Monster Hunter. He's got a lot of bees. Well, and Resident s- Evil is not Resident Evil. I, yes, well, you got to give him credit a, with Resident Evil. He's like redefining the franchise every time. It's a different genre of every movie. So I could understand if the expectations fly. I'd under. say that. What what Red. genre what genre requires that patches <laughs> what what uh, like unified thing is like but every chapter is gonna feel different like that's 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 not a way to make a series of anything that's what the Marvel movies also, are I, I, I but also different would... directors and a company that is making the it with Marvel different stars well in the beginning this is the guy and the his Resident wife franchise deciding that a video game storyline doesn't matter he, not, he and... didn't make every Resident Evil movie he produced them so he hired different people to do like the western one the the big action movie the horror version you know this all that's... starring his wife super fine so just like so let's different. Say, the, Take this back a sec. Um, I would argue that the Resident Evil films, despite their setting, are actually not so different from one another in terms of their tone. They are radically different from the games, which is not necessarily a, uh, a positive in this case. But I, and also two things. One is that uh, Patches was talking about how his foresight in terms of video games. And that's definitely true. It's what he's written his entire career. The movies he's made that have not been based on video games, things like The Three Musketeers, Pompeii, have barely outgrossed their budgets. Um, whereas... Pompeii is also a lot movies, of fun. I gotta recommend it. Mm, no, Pompeii, no good. <laughs> no good. Uh, watching that in a movie theater. The, the Resident Evil movies are solid moneymakers. Um... Event Horizon was a giant bomb. <laughs> um, Soldier, remember Soldier, where Kurt Russell no, got paid like someone got the amount per line of dialogue. Written by David. Uh, Peeper, that was a also writer. a giant bomb. Um, anyway, uh, and it's always a good sign on the reception page of somebody's Wikipedia when it says blank director repeatedly stated he considers himself a populist filmmaker. What are you Only getting cares at? About He's for the fans. Come on, entertain the audience and make them cheer in the cinema <laughs> what is your rather point? than the reception what is by your professional point critics. I think when someone has to write that out uh, you know, in writing on their page... Um, Are you coming at Monster Hunter them, already or not? Anyway, what's, yes. What's, what's I, Monster Hunter here? is truly baffling to me that anyone can A lot of people, like respectable people. Because like it feels it. like a non-film. <laughs> I mean, like the first five minutes of the movie, I was kind of like, you know, that reaping and sowing tweet. I was like, hell yes, fuck yes. <laughs> it's like sand pirates. Uh, Ron Perlman, who is, you know, whatever, but is uh, <laughs> complicated history with... <laughs> But he's, like, dressed up. I can't even remember. I saw this movie in December, and it vapored away before my eyes. But he's dressed up in some getup, and uh, they're on a galleon ship. They all look like they just stepped off the set of Hook or something. Sure. And there's, like, sandworms chasing them. And I was like, hell yeah. And then the movie starts in earnest, and it's just like they're, like, in this desert, running around from the most generic-ass monsters uh, (laughs) for for 100 minutes. Nothing happens. It makes, like, there's no no stakes. There's no character. The action is completely drab. I was like... It's like a screensaver of an action movie. I could not believe what it I was seeing. I was like, is the entire Monster Hunter franchise just this one fucking dumbass monster that has nothing to do? And then a white lady running around while Tony Jaa is sort of like just there? I don't know. First off, uh, it, she it, gets it, chased by little monsters because the spiders come after her. And then later <laughs> she gets chased by bigger monsters. And then the dragon shows up. What, what are we, that's stakes, man. That's an escalation. I would be genuinely... I, I, I'm bringing into the energy of this conversation someone who actually called American Express to like bring heat on the New York Sports Club for having the gall to charge me $84 a month during the pandemic. I'm bringing that same energy to I would be absolutely irate 
if I had paid money to watch this movie. Like, I would be beside myself. Um, it is... It, it's I don't think $5 rented from It feels iTunes like it was made in a, in a fucking, like, a vessel. A those things where they made, like, Tintin, but they didn't actually put in any effects. It's just, like, that's the movie. It's just them in this fucking hollow void. I cannot... It really felt to me like a new loaf of Paul W.S. Anderson, Anderson. And I say that with the full weight of his career, the highs and the very lows. Um... Like an absolutely empty piece of oh, of entertainment. Come on, um, and calling it such is being generous. I, I think this uh, is... and it did not perform very well overseas. No. And obviously, a lot of that has to do with COVID. But when uh, you know the movie, as Patch alluded to it got earlier, yanked out of Chinese theaters, got yanked out of its biggest. I mean, it was made for Chinese audiences. I mean, this is the the unfortunate irony of the situation. There was one thrown away joke, joke that absolutely needed to not not like very strange that it made there, it in also, there. I, right. Also, didn't need to be there. What and, was the joke? Well, we're not going to repeat it on the podcast because oh, is it like like offensive? It's about it's it's a joke about Chinese people uh, that is said by the uh, a Chinese actor in the movie or a, an actor of Chinese descent. He was making a joke about I can't. I, it's it's so it's dumb. Not, it's it's not, just spectacularly dumb. Is it racist? Like, is it something that we would not see as? I'm not. I am not going to make. This yeah, it's racist. All right, fine. Because sometimes you get banned from someone, China for like very milquetoast no joke. If someone in your life made this comment to you off, you know, offhand while you were in a conversation, you would pull back and give them a look and think differently about them. Okay, but it's not like, like they used. We don't say that. Yeah. So how like, did it make it into like a movie that was made for China? Because I don't think anyone thought it was offensive. Because it's actually not that offensive. It's just. People right. don't but it's, dumb. People also Here we go. The, I'm going to read from a from a source. <laughs> okay. Dave can Here, go This ahead. is from IGM.com. Dave, Dave, yeah, famously Chinese Dave Gonzalez. Please. Uh, I, I'm reading it because it's news. Uh, yeah. The controversial quip from the Monster Hunter movie involves a scene where two soldiers are talking to one another. One of the soldier asks the other, what are my knees? And then oh, yeah. follows it up by saying, Chinese. So what that are, is not what are my about this. So that's not yeah. like super offensive. It just just. But like, didn't... what's the point? It offends me on the grounds it's a stupid of screenwriting. Joke. That should be uh, a movie. Yeah, you could do better. I mean, it it's like it's someone aspiring to the meat because these are all like military bros going on a mission that's going to suck them in a wormhole or whatever. And it, it's like someone aspiring for the meatheadedness of a Michael Bay script and falling short. Yeah. And <laughs> like he pulls off his racism, you know, with the, the sheer, uh, the, you know, braggadocio and swagger and just like, you know, posting through it, the filmmaking equivalent <laughs> of posting through it. Um, and everyone is just sort of like, you know, with their hand on their forehead being like, I cannot believe these uh, Transformers have testicles. Uh, testicles not being racist, but it's all in the same vein for him. But uh, yeah. uh, this is someone who doesn't even have that I degree that, of talent. I think the reactions uh, to this movie's similar. overseas were – there was a snowball effect. There was the thing to latch on to that was mildly offensive. And there was also just like, why is this the Monster Hunter movie we're getting? Why is this like property that is so – uh, connected to kind of Eastern mythology or, or Eastern folklore, like who did why they is think this they the hired? Version who did they think they hired? It's Cap, it's Capcom, right? <laughs> yes, they knew exactly what they, they were. They did. That's getting. the thing. Capcom knows exactly what they're getting, and they want a movie. And I think we went through a lot of this discourse with um, the the what was the Scarlett Johansson anime Ghost movie? in the Shell? Ghost, Ghost in the, in the shell. shell, where it's like, why are you casting? Scarlett Johansson in this movie, and it's because uh, the whole world wants to see like Mila Jovovich, actually, and the the problems that we might have with this casting here in America don't actually compute all over the world. So it makes sense that Mila Jovovich would be the star of a Monster Hunter movie that you are trying to sell all over the world. Okay, so that's the logic there. But then they just fall short in in, in connecting it to its kind of Eastern roots. So it, that doesn't compute for me. That That is not the good part of the movie. The good part of the movie is that if you kind of divorce it from the that games, and which I do because I'm not a game, I'm not a fan of the games. I've never played the games. Uh, maybe they're good. Uh, but like Mila Jovovich running around, putting her on a pedestal, being a true action star, this movie does that. Or at least it satisfied me in a in a void of blockbusterdom this season. I definitely am grading on a curve. I, I mean, I, ha- I I assume I am. I don't even know. Like, we just don't... We didn't get a movie like this almost all year, and then I saw it in December, and I had a blast. 
David, let me sell you on a version of this movie you might like, all right? So Please. the dragon is bipedal and atomic, and Mila Jovovich <laughs> is King Kong. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um, well, Mila Jovovich have a... Coming to HBO like, Max. I would absolutely watch uh, Mila Jovovich versus Godzilla. That would be, <laughs> that would be an interesting movie. Um, I, I, Patches, we did not get a movie like this last year and i hope we never get a movie like this again yeah. i i uh i i'm all for paul w double 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 going out there and doing his thing with his wife um i this is their least convincing film i think they are a little bit lost at sea without resident evil but they can dumb down another franchise there's a talking cat to have david we haven't talked about the talking cat who makes food he cooks he's a cooking cat that's in the movie yeah, too. It's maybe. just like a what an empty, Meh. empty film. All right. Uh, I I just <laughs> I was truly beside myself that anyone could like this, and I I I've probably said similar and I films in the past, it. but one, every once in a while we get a movie like this, and uh, Monster Hunter is one. Saw it in December. It feels like a very very distant memory. And now um, everyone else can see it. It's on VOD. Go rent it if you please, or watch it on Crackle in like two months. Stood in the rain You were always crazy like that And I watched from my window I always felt I was outside Looking in on you uh, I'm here to use this mini-segment to update everyone to an important development in my life, which is that I am playing a video game <gasps> because my four-year-old wants to play a video game. It is Frogger. It is on the Apple oh, TV. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's Hitman 3. <laughs> it is uh, Monster Hunter. Away. Charlie loves throwing uh, bananas right in people's face. Apple TV has this whole like arcade program, which we have now signed up for probably against our better judgment, where you like pay a flat fee and it's like Netflix for games. You use the Apple TV remote as a controller, which is bad. It hurts my thumb. I guess I got to buy have a controller for the I know, yeah. like how <laughs> deep into this am I gonna get? Am I gonna get a controller? Um but the game is How deep Frogger, are you going he... to get into video games while raising two boys who are aging <laughs> up? Uh, well, I think uh, deeper. I guess it's time to buy a controller. I Cut really, to April and Mortal Kombat that comes out and Katie's lecturing us about noob cybot. <laughs> Are you gonna you're just gonna age my children up immediately so you can uh, play video games with them? Uh, it's gonna be like that episode of WandaVision, which I've seen now. Right, noob Cybot sort of, is the fucking <laughs> dumbest secret character. They just took his name and reversed it. Hey, is the, that, that Boone. You weren't expecting Tobias a noob Boone. reference today. <laughs> Uh, Frogger on the Apple TV. It's fun. Charlie wants me to play it for him because uh, he isn't that good and he is perfectionist. So I get help get all the stars and the bonus levels. And is that a thing that people hate video games for? Is like not like the joy of like discovering it, but like perfecting your game? Is that was, what other people do on normal games? I was on a group chat with a bunch of the friends who were talking about our significant others interacting with our video gaming life and admitting things like uh, in our household where they're, you know, adults trying to share video games we are the used to their Charlies. So it'll be like, <laughs> we get to play Mario Party or Mario Odyssey or something, and it's all fun. But then after hours, uh, those of us who are really into the game have to like go back and replay the levels to get all the stars and watch YouTube videos <laughs> on the fastest methods. Okay, all right. So this is a somewhat normal. Cause this, Charlie wants me to get all the stars, so I guess I'm teaching him well from a Speaking very Speaking of the age. fastest method, there's one... El- one- one of several elements of the video game community these days I do not understand is speed running. Uh, it just, I mean, it boggles. It'd be one thing if they were always playing by the rules and trying to perfect the games, it, but they're all about the glitches, which I guess for like programming nerds is fun, fun to discover the ways to break the games, but just does not translate to me. Um, Anyway, I, uh, the game I've been playing is Persona 5 Strikers. I don't know if we ever talked about Persona 5 on the podcast. We must have, because I played that game for a solid century. A uh, hundred hours Jesus. I put into that thing. Uh, and this is a spinoff that, uh, of the RPG about the teenagers in Tokyo. And uh, what I, was so, I, mean, I, loved, I loved this game. I just wrote a full review of it for IndieWire. Um, finally finds the right balance between the action and RPG that I think JRPGs have really been trying to reach for and 
flailing at for a long time. Final Fantasy VII Remake being a great example. Uh, but the battle system here is fantastic. I enjoyed it. But what I really loved about the game, which my significant other was caught reading the Wikipedia page for as I played it with like her eyebrows, <laughs> <laughs> like one eyebrow raised. Um, and I, if you are unfamiliar with the Persona series, uh, it has nothing to do with the Bergman film of the same name, I'm sad to say. But uh, I'm sure the Wikipedia page would be a journey. Um the uh, for me this this game is really about why people are so shitty to everyone on the internet. It's all kind of about uh, a new Siri like thing that is well, it's hard to get into, but it's essentially about like people taking their trauma and projecting it outwards rather than uh, dealing with it themselves. It involves celebrity culture and standing and how all of this is sort of a manifestation of those things, um, and it gets that pretty square on the head. And someone who's been uh, e- even you know, by my standards, sort of face-to-face with people being needlessly cruel to others on the internet over the past few weeks, it all hit very close to home. So it's like The uh, Hunt. And it's a lot of fun. No, oh it's boy. not like The Hunt. Oh. Uh, is always going to bring The Hunt up. But never <laughs> um, quite talk about it. That's key. Persona 5 Strikers is on the... Play- I played it on the PlayStation 4 slash 5, but it, I believe is also going to be available on the Switch. If you want to play it on the go, I can't vouch for that edition, but I'm sure it's fine. Uh, K- Katie, what's your favorite JRPG? What do I think JRPG? Yeah, what do you think JRPG is? Role playing game. Okay. I know. You can, you can, okay. you can I feel this like out. you're close. You're going to get this. She is. She's, I mean. Oh, Japanese role playing game. Yay. Yay. Look at me. I really was going to be like junior. junior like for RPGs. kids. For little, <laughs> little, little boys and girls. Dave, are you playing anything? Um, uh, I'm still in the mode where the easiest games I could play are dropping in and out. I have Final Fantasy VII Remake I've been playing anytime I could squeeze in, like, a couple of hours of, like, actually paying attention. But mostly I've been playing uh, Apex Legends, which just celebrated its uh, second year anniversary of being a Battle Royale free-to-play shooter. <laughs> Happy birthday, Apex Legends. Made yeah. It. Well, I mean, the cool thing is I actually signed up for Apex Legends the first week it came out, so I have, like, all the weird badges that weren't based on like being cool or good at kills just by showing up early and now finally two years later i get to stunt on people with those badges and skins but more interestingly to sort of like pass the time um i kind of fell off some of my podcasts uh assuming that i'd get to hear a test kitchen episode three last week and did it. Oh my it. god. Oh my god. I can't believe we didn't make that a segment. Holy well, shit. I can very much believe we didn't make that a segment. It seems sort of And here's a question I've, uh, I'm going to pose to David Ehrlich. David, oh have boy. you ever gotten into Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes YouTube streamers? Okay, Dave. Oh my god. Uh, that is a fascinating question because not only have I not gotten into Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes YouTube streamers, the concept of there being Star Wars Galaxy of YouTube streamers is so far into my brain that I could just feel an axle coming loose somewhere in my head. Uh, <laughs> Got it. So I'll, I'll try I, to make this to fast since I'm apparently the only one who knows that it exists. But uh, inside this mobile game that both David and I play, uh, that's Star Wars based. I'm about to hit 4 million galaxy power, but go on. You are much higher than I. I think I'm at about to hit 1.5. Anyway, point being, um, mm-hmm. there's this no. uh, setting called Grand Arena where you could, basically it's the only PvP setting uh, that it has stages. And um, a couple of YouTubers every day will just log in and play their Grand Arena live uh, with advice on how to make squads from their chat. And I've just turned it on in the background like I used to turn on like Rocky's baseball games in the afternoon. And I'll just watch some guy play a stupid Star Wars mobile game uh, while doing other work. Oh my god, this is amazing. I am, I am of course, currently in the middle of the, uh, the Grand Arena tournament. Uh, I won my last three rounds, feeling pretty good. Uh, anyone can go on my YouTube page and see my, yeah. uh, <laughs> my team. Uh, it's named after my wife. That's the only hint I'll give. Um, Such a romantic I Does know. she know this? No. Is she, is she <laughs> uh, and we're doing great. We're in the uh, Division 2 of... Uh, yeah, you and your wife this? are doing great. Yeah, I mean, we're in the Bronzium in the current league in Division 2 uh, of the 11 divisions, the number one being the best. So we're, we're hanging in there. we got a galaxy power of about 4 million. You know, how they do, how they do. Jesus. Anyway. Uh, patches, how about you? <laughs> I'm not. Um, I thought I was doing well, but I'm not. Um, Wait, you, de- you describe what you just heard as well, doing well. <laughs> I actually have pandemic a game. 49. Yeah. This is what we got into. Once Katie invests in an actual console, 
Katie, I feel like you could buy a Switch. I feel like there's some games. Ring Adventure, you could play with the kids there. Why would I want a Switch when I don't intend to ever play away from the television? Like, I don't want a handheld because thing. Because it has the games you want... like. It would have the games you like. That's what's important, too. What are the games that I like? I don't know. Fluffy games that Frogger? kids like. Um, well, you could but also like play this Apple game thing... that I am playing, that I play in front of my kids sometimes because... It is that gentle, but also engaging. Leisure is, suit, Larry, too. He is Larry. <laughs> yeah, uh, come stain adventures, whatever it's called. Um, no, uh, come stain adventures. Yeah, that's leisure suit, Larry. That's uh, leisure I guess suit, it, Larry. It's a bit it's more puntacular, but uh, it's, an, it's a joke for old people. I, I couldn't pull that joke out. Yeah, uh, I am playing you know, noob cyborg, a game that maybe <laughs> some people here have played: Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Have oh, sure. Except for I am currently game? lost. Patches, you need Uh-oh. to help me. <laughs> okay, well, I, I will I will send you my map or something? I don't know. I'm not that far I don't know how it. to get to the next location I have to go to, and I'm basically on the brink Jump of Jump around, slash things, break trees. Anyway, this is a really, it's a beautiful game. I'm playing it on the Xbox X, and it's, <laughs> um, that's a big sneeze. Uh, Ori is like a little white monkey guy. He's He has spirit powers, and he's finding his owl friend, and he's running around the forest, Katie, and uh, my little kid loves watching Ori uh, Ori technically uses like a claw power to kill bugs, but I tell my daughter he swats away the bad people mm. um, so that there's no Frogger violence. gets squashed by things, but we haven't set on a level where you can't really, you don't have three lives, you just can't really die. So he just gets like knocked over and then put back up. Both yeah. of you are missing out on a golden opportunity to teach your children about death. Uh, patches, <laughs> show Eleanor Hollow Knight. Got it. You got to get her ready for Silk. I do like Hollow Knight, but Hollow Knight is a little, might be a little too scary. But Hollow Knight even, the, even the gameplay so and good. It's funny that you say that you're you're lost, David, because I think it's deceptively easy looking. Ori and the Will of the Wisps is a is a Metroidvania type uh, side scrolling game. Uh, Katie, you know Metroidvania? Is that a you know what that is? <laughs> nope. Katie, Katie nope. it's like Hollow Knight, but <laughs> yeah, the, obviously, yeah. I'm just. I, it's not that I'm frustrated because it, the difficulty of the platforming is what makes it fun, but the difficulty of just like not knowing how to get to place B after running around to every corner of the map is. Uh, well, it's not for dum dums. That's right. But uh, okay. Ori and the Will of the Wisps. It's for Switch, the Xbox, computers. I highly recommend. Wait, it. speaking of dum dums, can I wrap up this segment by bringing it back to something that you all know um, and can maybe sympathize with, uh, because it has to do with Mandalorian and the various social uh, scandals involving that. Uh, as Gina Carano's whole thing happened and she was fired from the show, I was in the midst of trying to collect enough Cara Dune shards. That I could get the uh, Mandalorian's Besker armor. And uh, now here I am still trying to farm Gina Carano shards or Cara Dune shards like she was sweat on the moon of Tatooine. And uh, I I feel conflicted about it because I need those wow. shards. But I don't want to. The game hasn't canceled Cara I think Cara Dune, Dune transcends hasn't. the actress. Well, the image of her in the game looks exactly like Gina Carano. That can so change I don't know over about time. That. Star Wars has a long history of making the characters Luke Han. Elisa just walked by and gave me uh, the the stink eye for talking loudly about nerd shit. Well, we're also trying to have a team is named after her. We're trapped in the Galaxy of Heroes economy where you need Beskar Mando to level up in your galactic challenges. So I feel your pain, dude. God, and they keep fucking making you having to have the Mandalorian team. And it's like, of course I don't have the Mandalorian team. Who cares about the Mandalorian team? Anyway. I do, because back when I was playing, Gar Saxon was a new character. All so right, guess Joe who Biden, issue the uh, <laughs> stimulus checks for this game and get these people their credits or whatnot. Oh, my God. If I got $1,400 just to spend on Galaxy of Heroes, I'd be really sad. <laughs> Mm. 
Minari, it's a movie that you can see right now in digital cinemas uh, release or in theaters if you are brave enough to do such a thing. And uh, it if was... If you're vaccinated, you can go to Yeah, movies, is brave right? the adjective we want to go with there? I'm, if you're vaccinated. I mean, I also don't want to say if you're vaccinated because you're still going to be sitting in a contained theater with people for a long period of time who may or may not be wearing masks. Suit. Just look, look, look. You already know how it is. Minari's, <laughs> Minari's coming in for you. It's a good movie. It is about a uh, Korean-American family that moves to rural Arkansas. And uh, because of some difficulties setting up a farm there for Korean vegetables, uh, this uh, family's uh, married couple, uh, who is played by Steven Yoon and... Han Yuri, I want to say, uh, uh, is the actress's name. Um, their marriage is put under stress ob- for obvious conditions as uh, trying to bootstrap yourself up in Arkansas as a Korean-American family. Um, and eventually... In the, did we mention it's in the uh, early 80s? 80s? Set in the early 80s. Uh, they eventually invite the grandmother, the mother's mother, um, to come live with them. And uh, the mother's mother clashes with the youngest uh a child, a young boy named David, uh, who doesn't think that she's oh, yeah. a proper grandmother at all and thinks she smells like Korea and is not into the idea that he has to share a room uh, with her. And we sort of follow this family, and especially David and his grandmother, uh, as they yeah attempt to make it work in America with uh, all the various things uh, that can be working against you as a farmer. And when I say various things, I don't want to say that racism doesn't exist in this movie, but it does. But this isn't the type of movie that's building to an Act 3 clan runs them out of town uh, sort of thing. It's a very naturalistic uh, type of uh, movie about how uh, immigrant society works in the Americas. I don't have a lot of experience with this um, firsthand, but... Growing up, um, I did have my best friend was uh, Korean American, and his Korean grandmother came to live with him. So I remember, you know, watching Godzilla movies, which again, not Korean, but just in terms of like being a little kid. It's actually your contractual mention of Godzilla in every segment on this show. Yeah, that's true. Every yeah, I had to slip it in. We're each in one. the pocket of Bigzilla. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, his grandmother having to call her uh, Hominy, which I believe I would pronounce like Hominy, like really hard, uh, like Western wise, but that's the Korean word for grandmother. So like there are bits and pieces here that I recognize as a child growing up in the 80s and growing up uh, in the late 80s, early 90s with a Korean American friend. Uh, I watched this with Java who I think didn't appreciate it so much because I think this movie doesn't completely trash the idea of the American dream, which we kind of believe to be uh, not as possible now as maybe it wasn't as possible in the late 80s. Who knows how easy it is to bootstrap yourself. But just in terms of a film, I found it uh, gentle and pleasant and thought-provoking with some amazing performances, including one from a child, uh, so I'm, Alan it, S. Kim, the legend. Yes. So, yeah, so Java I'm, was d- disappointed by how it kind of like, you know, it, the bootstrapping myth. I think is a big part of the story, and you've got the father who really believes in it, and and Java thought the movie kind of like stuck with that as a possibility more than it should have. There's a uh, like a very specific thing that I'll point to to say that the weird thing about the movie's message uh, for me was that really early on uh, when he's setting up his farm, uh, he comes across a man who claims he could find water with a water finding stick which is you know southern culturally a whole thing that develops from like droughts and dust bowl era farming uh and he sort of the father sort of dismisses this as you know like we're going to use our brains not like superstition uh to find water and at the end of the movie they come back to that idea and they haven't necessarily landed on the idea that you could just use your brain you know to to get your way through when they return to that sort of theme um i think it says something a lot more complex but it's not 
a black and it's white m- message. That's more movie. of a concession to their new home It's not a black and white message movie. It's not a Forrest Gump about being a Korean-American. It's a story about this family that's you know based on the director's actual life. So uh, I think a lot of the realism touches... Uh, the the complicating things in this movie are things that I also feel real to me, so I don't see them as bad choice, bad filmmaking choices. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, anyone... I, I, oh, sorry, Katie, go on. There, there's just so much of that, and like you know, the the elements in which they kind of clash or just can't really understand each other around their white neighbors. Like, there's this kind of great scene where they're going to church, and there's like you know, very like friendly white people who say weird things, and then very like blunt kids who say weird things, and like how uncomfortable they feel. And then Will Patton is playing this kind of like. Is he like a drifter guy? He's this very eccentric guy who lives near them. He drags a crucifix behind him on the highway, which I have seen happen in real life, like real people like wheeling a crucifix behind them. Um, And like, I felt like the water divining thing kind of came back to that as well as like they are outsiders in this place. They're in an especially weird place in rural Arkansas. And it's them kind of like enmeshing themselves in society without I, I don't think the movie has a message of like, you must adapt immigrant. But it's about kind of like connecting on a personal level and like being. Yes, it's like the Minari how to plant to people who live growing around you. in any environment. You see the grandma plants the Minari. <laughs> but, plant. but also mm-hmm. about, like, about connecting to the people grow. around you. Yeah. I mean, it's like, also not, it's a story anyway. of assimilation. I mean, something that I, I, we talked about this movie before. If you've listened to our top 10 episode of 2020, it came up multiple times um, and something that may have come up then and, and certainly that was written about when the movie premiered at Sundance all the way back in 2020, is that it's a story of assimilation about a family assimilating into America, but also about the patriarch of that family, who's played by Stephen Yoon, assimilating into his family. Um, And Mm. the way that they parallel that, or the way that Lee Isaac Chung, the writer-director, parallels those two acts of assimilation, those two processes, is really beautiful in how they echo one another and and really, I think, is a complicated and textured portrait of um, what it feels like. I mean, I would imagine to assimilate into that. uh, I don't have that sort of firsthand experience other than um, assimilating into an incredibly white neighborhood when I was seven or eight where we were the only Jewish family and uh, people threw dog shit at our door, which I will remember until the day I die. Oh, yeah. Um, Holy shit. Yeah, because our house abutted against a country club. This is very Connecticut. Uh, that did not allow Jews. And uh, apparently what? that included not just the membership, but what? also uh, being on the fringes of the property. Are you sure it wasn't the dogs throwing their shit at you? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Those country yeah, no, club dogs uh, with their pitching arms. But it, that is, uh, that is that not down, quite the same dog. thing as the as the story in the movie. Wow. Uh, but, uh, that is bonkers okay yes i mean i i never whatever it's it's not parallel with making it's just a weird flashbulb memory that i will always have but um the yeah i just think it's a beautifully rendered story that sort of understands the, the difficulties of the process conveys them anyway in a way that feels uh true and understandable and i think the element of the grandmother coming in you know bringing the the old world with her and the clash that, that sets up with the young boy who was born in america but and wants to sort of be, be normal and his only friend in town is this little white toe-headed kid um, and he sort of resents her Koreanness, but they learn to sort of meet each other in the middle and she's obviously very warm and loving and well not obviously but she is and uh, um, and he is a little bit puckish towards her and plays a really cruel prank involving Mountain Dew um, and uh, they I mean it's it, it, it's just I don't know it's beautiful I thought the performances across the board are spectacular Stephen Yoon uh, in his Edward Yang cosplay as we definitely discussed in a previous episode <laughs> of this podcast um, yeah. is uh, just unbelievable um, I found this movie immensely moving both times that I watched it. Um, and I, I guess I can see how Java would, would rub against the optimism or the perseverance, uh, that comes out of this movie. But, um, I don't think it's prescriptive is all that. I don't think it's, it's making a case that like, you know, you too can flourish in America if you are strong enough, put your heart to it and yeah, it's and simple. You're back Just in be it. unkillable like Winari. Uh, Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the it's, is, uh, it can grow anywhere. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's just taking a, a measured take on on some of the hardships involved, but also the interpersonal complications that come with it. I mean, it's not as simple as an all for one, one for all mentality. I mean, they're, the way this family fissures uh, echoes, as I was saying earlier, with their overall experience, um, you know, externally. Uh, and it does feel, you know, as as 
on the nose as some of those metaphorical beats towards the end might be, it does feel like a, a very specific and particular story, not just culturally, but personally. Um, that's what I like about it. I especially mean, involving memory and like the childhood memories of these things. And maybe that's why that thing about the people throwing dog shit at my door popped up because it's me at the age of an Alan S. Kim sure. remembering how the, the eyes through which you saw these events when you were young. I mean, that, that's what I like. The movie is very polished and I don't think I like this movie as much as, as everyone else. I think it's very good. Um, it's kind of sugary sweet to me at times. And I'm very, very interested to hear Katie talk about the child performers in a second. Um, <laughs> very hot topic. Uh, but the specificity you're talking about is, is what makes this so engrossing. Uh, I love that they work at a sexings chick or like they sex chicks at the hatchery, um, like that job and seeing how it works. I like jobs. I like seeing how people really live. I like. Yeah, you the- never thought of, you never thought about that job being a job, right? That's, is that a job? That's a job. It and has I learned to about be, it. Yeah. Yes, of course it is, and how it works, and like seeing uh, the actors do that, and and how the jobs function, and what the day to day like, and then go back Chicken to their trailer sexes. and like see their home and see what they keep in their cabinets. I feel like uh, the the details here are really well presented, and that brings so much life to the story. These these aren't just like walking ideas for the director to move around and and make us feel things. It really feels lived in in a way that's it's important for this movie to to achieve that because we really need to know that this is a family that's crossed country to start a life and and plant themselves like much like the Minari plant if you will. Um Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> and and even like the Mountain Dew gang. About the the Mountain Dew drink a piss, metaphor. drink a piss. Like thank <laughs> one at one point I was like, I, like is this hokey but it's also like i bet this happened he definitely put his piss in a jar and made his grandma drink come on it's hilarious good one yeah good one um i like the kid performance in this movie my main problem with kid kids in movies is always that like they then get trotted around at award season for months on end and like oh, made for tuxedos and that's not, it's not happening this year so uh good for alan s kim for getting to be great in wait a movie that's and then not, not happening no, there's no award show to take him to. I mean, he's being he's doing interviews. You should have seen house. this cut at Sundance. He would have lost your mind. He was oh, everywhere. Yeah, Dressed no, up like a cowboy yeah. walking around yeah. Park City. Oof. But uh, but now he doesn't have to. So uh, that'll work. I'm just I'm amazed at someone who can take their memory and kind of filter it into a movie like this. Like David, you talked about that vivid memory from childhood. Like so many parts of a Minari, you're just like, I feel like I've been here. I feel like this is part of something that happened to me, but I cannot fathom putting it into a movie that then other people could understand. And like thinking about like if I could make something about my dad the way that this movie like the way that Steven Yeun plays that dad like I don't know how much he is like Lee Isaac Chung's real dad but it's like it's a such an incredible way to like pay tribute and to process your own life um and it's so moving to kind of be inside it even like whether or not it resembles your own you feel like you have been there like Patches was saying like there's a vividness to all of it and all of the feelings in it it's a pretty great way to portray his parents relationships too with it being like I know this is strained and I know they both tried and they both failed for like various very understanding reasons like the yeah it's a really grown-up way to think about i mean your parents or like any like anything about like how parents like try to be there for each other but get inevitably like divided by the family that they've created because sometimes your house is uh, on blocks and you weren't expecting that yep sometimes you don't know the right way to handle a hurricane or a tornado warning <laughs> is there a scene in the movie that like really struck you or it felt like this the the transcendent mo- moment in this movie where it's achieving something that feels really unique because of the the different components of it. I don't I don't know what scene. I mean the cli- the climax of the movie, which I don't want to spoil, but like there is a the, the marriage story, uh, the the vision between them is kind of building up to a point, uh, and then that way that plotline is resolved in one major scene. Uh, I thought was gorgeous and i love the way that those those elements all came together there yeah mine's also kind of plot based but there's a minari song that the grandmother has with uh the the little boy and when it's revisited under different circumstances it's fucking heartbreaking yeah uh and the music on the whole by emil mosari the score is just beautiful um 
worth, worth putting out as well. And also the song that uh, Hanyeri does the vocals for, Lullaby-like song at the end, is also uh, somehow on the... Not somehow, I mean, it's a beautiful song. It's just a very uh, small piece of work that is, is faint and not quite what you typically associate with the best original song category at the Oscars uh, is on the shortlist. I feel like Hanyeri is not getting the the praise she deserves for this movie kind of overshadowed by Steve Yeun, who's easier to champion as like a movie star because he's been in mainstream things like Walking Dead. But she is so good in this, like the portrayal of motherhood in this movie, I think is really, it's really quite strong and you don't see putting, that very often. I mean, she absolutely echo everything that just said and that I talked over, uh, but also just thinking of, of comparing Stephen Yeun's performance in Burning, uh, which did not have quite the same impact in the U.S. as The Walking Dead did, unfortunately, uh, but is a masterpiece. And his performance here, which is really night and day, but um, really just shows in, in just two slides uh, his versatility as an actor and screen presence. It's really impressive. Now he's going to voice the main character in Seth Rogen's Invincible cartoon. What can't I don't do? know what that is. Wow, didn't you don't know, know what that, that is? Big Amazon superhero show. It's uh, but I do know that he did some very funny bits with Conan where they went to a Korean spa uh, a number of years ago. And I can still close my eyes and see them. Imagine going to a Korean spa with Steven Yeun now or anytime. But like, or anytime, right. I think I would be go, interesting. I want to go to a spa. That would be so nice. With, That's the big Steven takeaway here. Um, so Minari's com- like release is a little complicated because uh, as we're talking about this and as you hear this, it's probably only on the A24 screen- screening room, but it's going to be on regular VOD, uh, I think on the 26th, so at the end of this week. So, so A24- Releases are so confusing these days. The A24 screening room is you could buy a certain number of tickets each night, right? For like a virtual yeah, show. Yeah, but they but they can sell out unlike regular VOD. But um, I think by this weekend, you can just rent it from iTunes and the usual places, which you very much should. Minari. Can you sing the song, Dave? No. I don't remember the actual tune. (laughs) That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. We're going to talk about One Night in Miami as we continue our run of talking about the movies that will probably be nominated for Oscars. And apparently we're also talking about Tom and Jerry. Hell yeah. So watch both. Uh, In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Noob (laughs) Saibot. Oh, David's not even listening. He didn't laugh. <laughs> you're Noob Saibot. I got it. Was, Come you know. on. Noob Saibot. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of the other the other hidden character. I had it earlier Smoke? in my head. No. Um, Gor- Goro? Gorgo? No. I mean, these are all real characters, but there was there's another one. Uh, secret character? Mortal Kombat hidden characters. Get, get back to me. Sector? <laughs> Uh, okay, anyway, I'm Matt Patches, uh, senior editor at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. We have a website if you want to go back and listen to old episodes. We were just referencing our top ten. Did you listen to that yet? Go to fightingintheworm.com and go listen to it right now. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. I was, of course, thinking about Ermac. 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 Who was... Yeah. Um, Fuck that guy. He was... Essentially Sub Zero or Scorpion, but with a red palette. And yeah, I think he had Scorpion. How do you get his name? Kind of sounds what like a waste. Ermac, Ermac backwards is camera. I don't think that's a thing. I don't know what an Ermac is. Um, there was Smoke, who was not just a gray palette in Sub Zero. He's like a purple guy. I don't know. He patches. I'm looking at little. Gifts of them. Ur- oh no, Ur- Smoke was a gray Sub Zero in Mortal Kombat 2. Ermac Ur- was the red Sub Zero and it was named after a bug name for a rumored character. They thought there was going to be an Ermac, so eventually they just made an Ermac. A pluralized contraction of error macro. Huh. That's a good to know. I needed More to know that. Put that away in the uh, memory bank so I never forget that. Use up These are all storage. going to be. Easter eggs in the upcoming Mortal Kombat movie, I am sure. <laughs> is, is this just uh, the Polygon pitch motive- podcast? That's right. I'm taking notes here. You'll be looking at the features soon. You remember Ermac? Um, Polygon.com. Remember the oral history of Ermac. <laughs> That's an actual story uh, that Polygon probably is doing. I was about to say, please doing. don't say these things on the podcast. Because <laughs> I, have a, I have a whole list of stories that are just like this. This is the kind of shit I do. <laughs> um, the uh, I, I'm David Ehrlich. Uh, I find me writing about video games on IndieWire, writing about Persona 5 Strikers. Um, you can find us all on on uh, iTunes, Fighting in the War Room. Um, do it. Write us. 
read it on the show. It's great fun. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also follow me on The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. We are up through the life and death of Jeremy Bentham, and we split our podcast into Calm and Storm sections. The Storm section has spoilers. The Calm section is for people who are just watching it the first time. For the rest of Lost, those sections are going to be wildly divided. Uh, Come join us if you like that. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com and on the Little Gold Men podcast where we're talking about the Hollywood issue this week. It's that time again. Uh, What's by the, the time reveal? You hear this. Tomorrow, uh, Tuesday. So people oh, listening happened. to this have already seen it. Congratulations. It looks uh, beautiful. Thank you. Uh, I'm, you speak from great knowledge. Um, anyway. Wait, what's the big reveal? Like, who's on the cover? Oh, yeah, you can yeah, tell us, Yeah, that's every right? year. Yeah, you want to know? Oh, yeah. Well, you can just tell us now, so we know. Uh, I'm not going to tell you now, because you're going you're gonna to tweet it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't trust any of you. Um, it's Ermac. You can find... <laughs> it's <laughs> Ermac! <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H and we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R where if you tweet Mortal Kombat jokes at me I won't get them so maybe you should just oh my god, that would be hilarious. question which was <laughs> What did you used to watch for after school television? Thanks for listening and we'll be back talking to you next week